0: You can see the preparations for these Molotov cocktails. This here is chunks of styrofoam being put into the bottle because it's a,
1: a good sort of accelerant. Here is the fuel concoction involving oil and fuel. And then over here, this gentleman
0: is preparing the wick. That's my LA Times colleague, Nabi Bulos, reporting from Kyiv on a group of Ukrainians determined to fight back against Russian troops with whatever they have.
1: Wine bottles, vodka bottles, beer,
0: anything goes. But our episode today starts about a month ago and far from the battlefields of Ukraine. It starts in Beijing. On February 4th, Russian President Vladimir Putin met with Chinese leader Xi Jinping just hours ahead of the opening ceremony for the Beijing Winter Olympics.
2: China and Russia announced a new partnership with China saying it'll back Russia's foreign policy aims and saying it supports Russian demands that NATO halt its expansion.
0: The meeting made headlines and has people asking, could China be the overlooked player in the Russian-Ukraine crisis? I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the L.A. Times. It's Wednesday, March 2nd, 2022. Today, we dive into Russia and China's complicated relationship and whether she is taking any notes for Taiwan. Here to discuss this is my L.A. Times colleague and China correspondent, Stephanie Yang. Stephanie, welcome to The Times.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: The summit between Putin and Xi before the Olympics opening ceremony generated headlines, but also a pretty long joint statement between the two of them. What did it say?
3: I think that this was quite notable because it showed a strengthening of ties between the two countries. It was quite a long statement. It was more than 5,000 words.
1: Kicking off his visit, the Russian leader has praised unprecedented close relations as China increasingly shows support for Moscow.
3: Mostly talking about their areas of cooperation, and this no-limit partnership that they were seeking.
1: Putin has highlighted close economic ties with Beijing, including a new contract to supply China with 10 billion cubic metres of gas per year from eastern Russia.
3: So while they don't have a formal alliance, it was seen as a sign that they were becoming closer. So another thing that they pointed out is their opposition to NATO expansion and also the uh, US involvement in foreign affairs. And then as we learned later, this was also quite notable in that it came weeks before Russia's invasion of Ukraine.
0: And that's where a lot of Western analysts got kind of surprised by it, because at that time, Russia was already massing nearly 200,000 troops right on the Ukraine border. And of course, ever since that, they've invaded. But how has China responded to Russia's moves in Ukraine?
3: One of the things about the joint statement that was also interesting is that it didn't mention Ukraine at all. It is kind of unclear how much China knew about Russia's intentions and what they were planning to do. There has been reporting saying that China had discounted the actual possibility of Russia attacking, and so they had themselves had been caught off guard when the invasion actually happened. This has put them in a difficult position of trying to walk this fine line between not wanting to come out in full support of Russia, but also not wanting to come out and condemn them. What they have said repeatedly is that they call for diplomatic resolution and restraint.
1: China's holding back from labeling Russia's attack on Ukraine an invasion while upholding the sanctity of territorial sovereignty.
3: They have declined to call it an invasion. They've instead opted for Putin's words a special military operation.
1: China's accusing the U.S. of creating fear and panic over the crisis in Ukraine and is calling for talks to reduce rapidly building tensions. And
3: then when asked on some of these questions and also in their own state media, they have turned the blame to the U.S. for stoking fears and tensions and getting involved in these foreign affairs.
0: Yeah, what unites Russia and China is that both of them want to see American global power lessen. So in this case, China being sort of roughly in the middle, if you will, makes sense to them. But what would be the risk for Xi if he does get too cozy with Putin?
3: People have described this as a marriage of convenience rather than a total alignment of ideology in that they both do oppose the West. But I think at the same time, China doesn't want to completely throw in with Russia. I think there are risks to that. And at the same time, while it does oppose, you know, U.S. involvement and U.S. powers, it wants to avoid also alienating other countries completely, especially big economic partners and trading partners. China also has economic ties and investments in Ukraine as part of its Belt and Road Initiative. So that complicates matters for it as well.
0: Yeah, it seems like China's just waiting on the sidelines on Ukraine to see how it all breaks before making a decision.
3: Yeah, and one of the complicating factors for China as well is that Russia's actions are in conflict with its long-standing stance on respecting state sovereignty. So there's a little bit of back and forth in its statements where it wants to stress this uh, principle of state sovereignty, but also is giving a nod to Russia and some of Russia's talking points of security concerns opposing NATO expansion and complex factors in Ukraine's history.
0: Coming up after the break, how Russia has been burned before in the game of great power politics. Any two countries as large as Russia and China are going to have a complicated relationship. In fact, it was the Bolsheviks, led by Vladimir Lenin, who inspired the founding of the Chinese Communist Party back in
3: 1921.
0: And Mao Zedong, the founder of the People's Republic of China, he styled the Chinese Communist Party after the Soviet model. Russia and China's relationship has had its ebbs and flows, but perhaps none so consequential as during the Cold War. Here now to talk about this history is Nina Khrushcheva. She's a professor of international affairs at the New School. Nina, welcome to The Times. Thank you. The world has already seen and heard how Putin tries to rewrite history when it comes to Ukraine and its relationship with Russia. What's his end game with such revisionism?
2: Well, I think it's a billion quadrillion dollar question or generational question, I think. It seems like what he wants is to embrace all three Slavic nations, Belarus, Russia, and Ukraine, and turn them into one pan-Slavic empire or some such. Maybe take a little bit of parts of Russian-speaking Kazakhstan, which is also used to be part of the Russian empire. So it seems to be that, unless it is just a giant, violent way of Explaining to Joe Biden, to the United States particularly, that he's not going to be beaten around and he's not a small man, but a man with a giant country that can do a lot of damage to the world.
0: Do you see any pining from Putin of trying to restore the Russian empire of the past, sort of following in the steps of Peter the Great, Catherine the Great and other leaders of Russian history?
2: Yes, likes the greats because he thinks of himself as the great and the original baptizer of the Russian state or Kievan Rus state, which is a proto state for both Russians and Ukrainians, was also Vladimir. And so Vladimir the Great. So that really speaks well to Putin's own greatness. And Catherine the Great is his favorite empress. He one time said that she was even better than Peter because she shed less blood, but gathered more land. So in in this sense, he certainly goes in the steps of all those greats. And unlike here in the States, where they say he wants to recreate the Soviet Union, the Soviet empire is just part of that other historical empire that he is pining for in in some ways. I mean, but I don't think he really wants the exact one that there was. He wants his own history, his own legacy.
0: The invasion of Ukraine happened 50 years to the week that U.S. President Richard Nixon visited China uh, to meet with Mao Zedong. Remind us what happened then and what was the purpose of Nixon's trip?
2: It was an interesting trip because it is portrayed differently by different people.
0: The Cold War was raging. In Southeast Asia, China was North Vietnam's ally, and Richard Nixon's credentials as an anti-communist were longstanding and impeccable.
2: For example, Ian Buruma, who is an expert on China, says that Mao was completely bonkers by then. Kissinger, Henry Kissinger, at the time, he was an orchestrator of that. He may have already known that Mao was slightly bonkers and used it as an opportunity to give it kind of a victory to the United States. We seek
3: an open world. A world in which no people, great or small, will live in angry isolation.
2: So Nixon would become friends with China, with Mao Zedong, and that's how they would peel away China from the Soviet Union, because the Soviet Union and China at the time had very strained relationship.
3: We have, at times in the past, been enemies. We have great differences today. What brings us together is that we have common interests which transcend those differences.
0: How pivotal was Nixon's trip for the Soviet Union and the Cold War?
2: I think it was incredibly important, regardless of what Mao's state of brain was at the time, just the perception was important. So in in politics, perception is more important than facts.
3: This was the week that changed the world.
2: Then after that trip, eventually relationship between the United States and China started getting better. And then China suddenly was willing to instill communist capitalism, became part of the world markets, and in fact catapulted into modernity while the Soviet Union was still fighting kind of old wars and was way behind the information revolution that was already happening in the 70s. So it was in many ways that was a brilliant move.
0: People are now pointing out the parallels between what Putin's trying to do with China now and what Nixon did 50 years ago. But do you think Putin will be successful in having Russia benefit from closer ties with China?
2: China is much cleverer in this sense, although not that Russia is not always, but China is certainly thoughtful this way. So it lets Putin fight the political battles. And unlike before today, Russia is certainly, if it succeeds, certainly is a much smaller partner than it was during the Soviet days. So it is Xi Jinping who is calling the shots. It's not Putin who is calling the shots. And even if it is successful to some degree, I don't know how long it will last because Putin does have an ego complex and sort of inferiority superiority complex. I don't know how much supremacy he will try to exhort on the Chinese, while the Chinese would be pushing back saying, look, you know, with the second world economy, look at you. And it is really unclear how very cunning China would behave and balance between the United States and Russia. But also, if the United States puts all the effort in the world to peel China away from Russia, I think It does seem potentially, I mean, I'm afraid to predict anything, but potentially China probably would pick the United States versus Russia.
0: If Chinese President Xi Jinping doesn't stand with Putin completely, what does that mean for Russia and for Ukrainians, for that matter?
2: Well, Russia is finished with or without the end of the war. I mean, Russia is done now.
0: New sanctions could immobilize any Russian central bank assets in the U.S. or held by Americans. The ruble had already been plunging against the dollar after Western nations introduced other financial sanctions over the weekend.
2: We're now targeting 70% of the Russian banking market, but also key state-owned companies, including the field of defense. There's sanctions that are nuclear. I mean, Putin was warned that they would happen. He clearly decided it's not going to be like that. But also, I think with sanctions especially, there's also a human toll on sanctions, and we forget that, forget it. We think it's all about the pipelines that are going to be closed and money that is going to be frozen but it's also about the human toll—that that is cultural development, because now all the theaters can no longer go to foreign countries. There's no longer sports championships. The International
3: Olympic Committee is urging others to exclude Russia's athletes and officials from international sports events because of the country's invasion of Ukraine.
2: Russia is being kicked out of all these non-political but global organizations, so that's sanctions. I mean, that's the Iron Curtain right there and then. I don't know if China would be willing to participate in that, because if China is also sanctioned for anything that Russia does, China is not going to give up its own economic development for Putin, I don't believe. So I think for the Russia, the consequences of this fatal decision last Monday was the proportion of the Bolshevik revolution of 1917 or the Soviet collapse in 1991, all the both at least certain moments felt like they were bringing something positive, something different. This time, there is absolutely no upside of what Putin did in his megalomania.
0: Nina, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you. Coming up, what can China offer Russia? And later, will China use Russia's playbook to invade Taiwan? And we're back with my L.A. Times colleague, Stephanie Yang. Stephanie, what sort of help do you think China is going to give to Russia in the coming weeks and months?
3: We've already seen China give some soft diplomatic support and backing to Russia's stance through its abstention from the vote on the U.N. Security Council on Ukraine. The result of the voting is as follows. Eleven votes in favor, one vote against, three abstentions. The draft resolution has not been adopted. Also not wanting to come out and directly condemn Russia while all these other major nations are speaking out quite strongly against Russia and also imposing sanctions.
2: The world is watching. Photographic and video evidence is mounting, and you will be held to account for your actions
3: that has been beneficial already to Russia's position, as well as, you know, China and Russia share this border. And so having China kind of implicitly on its side uh, alleviates the concern that it has to direct any sort of military forces or focus on that part of the country while it's attacking Ukraine. One of the most obvious indications of support that we might see from China is economically being a large trading partner of Russia. You know, it buys a lot of energy, it buys a lot of natural gas, oil, and also it recently lifted limits on uh, wheat purchases from Russia. So being able to alleviate some of those economic pains from sanctions could be very beneficial for Russia.
0: You mentioned what the Chinese government's stance has been so far in Ukraine, and you also mentioned how the media is treating it, but how do Chinese citizens feel about what's going on in Ukraine?
3: Chinese citizen reaction has been quite interesting and also quite divided depending on where you look. If you look at uh, Weibo, which is China's Twitter-like platform, there has been a lot of pro-Russia sentiment and discussions. And I think that that is attributable to rising nationalism in the country that uh, favors these closer ties with Russia and also at the same time opposes the U.S. and Western powers. But at the same time, there's also been people speaking out that have been anti-war that are saying that, you know, China should be sympathetic to foreign powers invading a individual territory. And so some of those comments have also been scrubbed from social media and from the web, I think, in an indication that China wants to keep much of the rhetoric pro-Russia among its citizens.
0: And for that stance, China can already count on one significant gift from Russia, that Taiwan is a, quote, inalienable part of China. Their joint statement released around the Olympics said so.
3: Yeah, I think that that's something else that analysts have seen as a repayment in kind diplomatically, that Russia will support China's policy that Taiwan is a part of China, whereas, you know, we've seen in other major nations, particularly in the U.S., they maintain a much more ambiguous stance on whether or not Taiwan is a part of China, something that China feels very, very strongly about.
1: Chinese leader Xi Jinping says a peaceful reunification of Taiwan with China's mainland is in Beijing's interests. Xi, at an official celebration in Beijing's Great Hall of the People, said reunification of the nation must be realized. The Taiwan
0: question, of course, has loomed for decades in China. And last fall, Beijing sent hundreds of military jets just out of the range of Taiwan's air defense identification zone.
1: China's military has sent fighter jets over the Taiwan Strait in an unusually large show of force.
3: Taiwan's president has vowed to defend the island against China's rising pressure for reunification.
1: Taiwan scrambled jets in response and monitored the movements of the Chinese planes.
0: The argument with China and Taiwan has always been that China's never going to go through with an invasion of Taiwan because of something called strategic ambiguity. What's that?
3: Yeah, so the long-standing policy of the U.S. is to maintain strategic ambiguity. It supports Taiwan through military arms sales and has diplomatic relations, but it also says that it acknowledges and respects China's position that Taiwan is a part of China. And so this has kind of been this uh, balancing act that has worked well in maintaining the status quo because they have not come out and said one way or another if they will send military support to Taiwan if China were to attempt reunification by force.
0: And that makes me wonder, so far the United States hasn't sent any troops over to Ukraine to help the country defend itself against Russia, and President Biden vows that's not going to happen. So how does that non-action influence the Chinese government's thinking on what could happen if it ever decides to invade Taiwan?
3: There have definitely been parallels drawn from the Ukraine situation to Taiwan. And I think that that contributes to some anxiety on the ground in which Taiwan has seen that the U.S. has not sent troops to Ukraine and also seeing its messy withdrawal from Afghanistan. I think that that's raised questions about the dependence that Taiwan can place on the U.S. if there were to be military force by China. That is something that China and Taiwan are both watching closely from the U.S. At the same time, people have pointed out that uh, the situations are also quite different as far as Taiwan has not necessarily been recognized by the international community as um, an independent nation. Since people do take more of an ambiguous stance towards it, separated by a strait, it is an island, and also it has, I would say, stronger diplomatic and economic ties to the U.S. So the question is still in the air whether or not the U.S. would send military support. I think that's something that people are still trying to figure out, whether or not the response to Ukraine gives any sort of insight.
0: So it's not one of those, what do they say, apples to oranges comparison. Right. <laughs> Still, how is Taiwan thinking about the situation in Ukraine?
3: Yeah, I think that even though people recognize that the situations with Ukraine and Taiwan are different, the Ukraine conflict really hits home for people in Taiwan because they have to deal with this you know, aggressive neighbor, they have to worry about what what a potential future conflict look like. And so we've seen in response to this, Taiwan officials have strongly condemned Russia's actions on Ukraine and also have stressed that they are working on building up their own military defenses. In turn, you've seen some citizens in Taiwan focus more on civil defense and just trying to think through what kind of military action from China would look like and how it would affect Taiwan. So there's definitely been more stress on that. That has been a priority for the Taiwan government over the past two years. The question is, you know, whether this situation in Ukraine will make citizens and policymakers take this all much more seriously.
0: Stephanie, thank you so much for this conversation. Great, thank you. And, of course, for full coverage of the Ukraine conflict, go to LATimes.com. We have dispatches from Ukraine, from the United States, angles from business to culture, politics, and so much more. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from The LA Times. Tomorrow, how homeless Angelinos created a community in an abandoned building in Koreatown. Kasha Brasalian was a jeffa on this episode. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Kasha Brasalian, Ashley Brown, and Angel Carreras. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editor is Kinsey Morgan. Our executive producers are Hasmin Aguilera and Shawnee Hilton. And our theme music is by Andrew Epin. Like what you're listening to? Then make sure to follow The Times on whatever platform you use. I'm Gustavo Arellano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news and desmadre. Gracias.